0: Worshipping with us, and we welcome you as you do so. This is New Pentecost United Methodist Church, and um, we have a preacher today who is a guest. He is a, someone who grew up in the United Methodist Church, was born and raised, baptized in it, confirmed in it, and uh, has moved forward. and He is my son. I have two sons. This is Joel, and Joel is going to bring the message to us today. And uh, Joel is a very gifted preacher, and uh, I appreciate him. and He and his mom are His mom and I are proud of him. And um, uh, I'm humbled by the fact that he is a servant of the Lord. When he decided to go into ministry, I decided not to be his mentor in that, and and the one who kind of helped him understand his call. I invited a couple of other friends of mine who were ministers to talk with him, and they both said, well, I think he's been called. So uh, anyway, he, he went ahead and proceeded forth with that, and I am grateful for it. But today, here is Joe me again. Uh, <laughs> how's
1: everybody doing? Oh, gosh, it's so loud. No, you're fine. I just, I, I'm not used to hearing my voice that, that amplified. How's everybody this morning? Good. Good. I'm happy to be here with you, and uh, I was I've spoken with y'all a few different times, and just a couple weeks ago, my dad and I joined together in a sermon as well, and uh, I've enjoyed getting to know y'all as, as I've visited over the years, and I know that my parents appreciate the care that y'all give to them. A lot of people don't realize that pastors need care, too, and uh, and, and it's good to know that my parents are in a church where the congregation cares for them as much as y'all do, so thank y'all for that. Um it's whole, we're starting Holy Week, and it's the week leading up to the passion of Jesus, his suffering on the cross, and ultimately, his resurrection. Now, the interesting thing about Holy Week is that there's not a lot of practical application in it, because we're just sort of remembering and reflecting on some events that happened that we kind of watch them unfold and there's there's not much for us to take away and do because it's already been done. We can't replicate, inform, or consequence the events of Holy Week because nothing that we do can ever be as great as what Christ did for us. And nothing we can ever do will ever have the same results of salvation and redemption for all of humanity. And so Holy Week is really about the work that Christ did on our behalf, it's not as much about what we do, uh, except there is something we'll come to at the end, but Holy Week begins with Palm Sunday, so if you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 19, and we're going to be reading from 28 through verse 40, and it's a familiar passage if you grew up in the church, I'm sure, uh, but this passage or this event appears in all four Gospels. And there's a few unique things about each one, but Luke does something really specific that I want to bring up in just a few moments. Picking up in verse 28, Luke writes, And when Jesus had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Alabet, he sent two of the disciples. And he said, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it to me. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven, and glory in the highest. And when some of the Pharisees in the crowd saw it, they said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, Surely I tell you, if these people were silent, the very stones would cry out. So, has anyone ever been to New Orleans before? By show of hands. Did Did you enjoy it? Sorta. Of. I really enjoyed it. But uh, what's 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 something you particularly remember about it?
0: Smells.
1: The smells. Who oh. helped <laughs> The food beignets this uh, there's people have all kinds of different memories about new orleans and i've been a few times and the first time i went was a the first time you go anywhere is is a pretty remarkable experience but one thing that struck me as someone who loves music and art is just how much of that there is you can be in a restaurant where there is a jazz band playing and then you walk out on the street and, and without even getting out of earshot of one You're hearing blues music coming out of another place, and then there'll be a drum line that just erupts on the street, and there'll be a gospel choir, and it's just always alive. It's a really interesting town. But one of the things I saw when I was there the first time, that's something I'll never forget, was a jazz funeral. Are you all familiar with those? So one of the old traditions in New Orleans is when somebody dies, they'll throw a a parade for them down the street. And the parade is followed by a band who plays kind of a funeral dirge, kind of sad, slow. And, they, and this is the family and the close friends in the parade with the deceased. And then they go into the church or the mausoleum or the graveyard or whatever to have their service. And then they come out, and the band plays lively, upbeat music. And the idea here is that then anybody who can hear it is allowed to join in the parade whether you knew the person or not. And it sort of invites everybody to be a part of celebrating the life of someone, uh, whether you've been a part of their life or they've been a part of yours or not. And you learn about who they are and uh, the kind of people who they're friends with and you get to hear about their life. And people, it's kind of a tradition that they wave uh, black umbrellas and handkerchiefs. And it's just a really interesting way of doing a funeral and, re- and reflecting on the life of somebody who's deceased. But they call that second parade the second line. The second line is when people who don't know the person but are hearing stories about them and seeing the celebration of their life join in uh, celebrating with the people who knew them the best. And it turns out you can learn a lot about somebody by the kinds of things people say about them when they die. Uh, when I was in Kentucky, I served a church that was about an hour away from where I lived. And I, I promised this was all going to come together, but bear with me for just a second. Uh, I serve this church that was about an hour away from where I lived. And the way it would go is I'd drive up there in the morning. I'd do Sunday school and we'd, I'd preach and then I'd come back. Sometimes I'd stay and have lunch with somebody there and then come back. And then Sunday I would just crash on the couch because it was an hour drive one way to do what I had to do, and then an hour drive back.
0: So one Sunday I get home,
1: and I'm getting ready to wind down, and the phone rang, and it was a, it was the area code of the town where my church was. So I didn't recognize the number, but I recognized the area code, so I thought I need to pick this up. So I pick it up, and it's the, I forget the man's name now, but I recognize his name as the director of the funeral home. And he said, this is so-and-so from the funeral home, of a man named Broadus Peel, has died. He's a member of your church. Now, by that time, I'd been there for three years, and the church was uh, a very, it was mostly family and close friends. And so I knew everyone in the church. Never heard of this guy before in my life. No idea who he was. And I said, "Uh, who? (laughs) And uh, they said, Broadus Field, he's a member of your church. And I said, I didn't say, I'd never even heard of him. I said, okay. And they said, well, since he's a member of your church, you get to do the funeral. Okay. When is the funeral? Tomorrow. Good. So, so would you please come out to the funeral home tonight to visit with the family? Okay, so, got changed back into my church clothes, made a few phone calls to figure out who this guy was, and the the chairwoman of our PPR committee said, oh yeah, he's been in the nursing home for the past 10 years, but he was on the roll of the church, and we just never took his name off the roll." Okay, so go out there, and I have to talk to a room full of people who I don't know about a man who I've never met and try to figure out what nice things I can say about him for his funeral. And it turned out that he was a devoted father, husband, grandfather. He fought in World War II. Uh, some of his war buddies were there. Uh Interesting man, great man, but learned a lot in a very short time and was able to put together enough to talk about him at his funeral. It was very surreal, though, and I don't think people realize the kind of things that pastors have to do sometimes where you're called upon to do things that are just completely out of the realm of of what you're expecting and what you're prepared for, but you do what you have to do. Similarly, the gospel writers have stories to tell about Jesus. And you can learn a lot about who Jesus was by reading the different accounts of the, the men who wrote the Gospels. And they all kind of have a different way of telling the story. And they have a different purpose in telling it. So they're all trying to tell you something different about who Jesus is. So for example, when you read Matthew, you see a lot of imagery that likens Jesus to Moses and makes a, does a great deal of work to tie Jesus to the idea of the uh, Mosaic Messiah. So Matthew's really trying to paint a picture that Jesus is the Messiah that Israel has been waiting on. Mark dashes through a lot of the story and then spends a lot of time during Holy Week. It's the shortest gospel. It's got the simplest grammar. It just moves along at a clip, and then when it gets to Palm Sunday, it just stops and slows down. So you could almost say that Mark is really trying to show Jesus the love he had and his suffering. And the victory he had at the end of it. John has a lot of really interesting language that really making a point that Jesus was in fact a God in the form of a man. He was fully God. He was fully human. That's what John is trying to do, and John is just loaded with imagery about that. And there's a lot of stuff you can say about it. But we're reading from Luke, and Luke's gospel. Luke. Tells a lot of things about Jesus that show that he's a king and a king whose mission is peace. And this motif is everywhere in Luke's gospel. Uh, I mean, it's just all the play. I mean, so much about either Jesus being a king or Jesus being on a mission of peace or justice or mercy. Uh, Right from the very beginning, in fact, if you go to the the Nativity story in Luke's gospel, it says. Uh, Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he's pleased. And then, interestingly, Luke is the only person who says this next thing of all the four gospel writers. In the triumphal entry, Luke says that the crowd said, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, and glory in the highest. And when you look at the grammar of these, it's almost the exact same sentence, just with heaven and earth switched. And what you get from this is that whether Jesus is coming down from heaven to earth, or whether Jesus is on earth, on his way to heaven, his mission is peace. That's what he's coming to do. Peace is the proclamation of Christ's arrival. It's right down to the choice of animals that Jesus chooses and the way that he enters the city. And I'm going to work backwards through that real quick. But there's some there's some evidence that suggests that the gate that Jesus went through into Jerusalem was the same gate that the Roman army would come in when they had a parade uh, to show their victory. And the Roman army was big on flexing their military might. And during Passover, they had a custom of coming in with their army through the gate and then crucifying people just to show them who was boss, to remind them that we're the, we're the ones in charge, be afraid. And they come in with stallions and their army and chariots and all of this stuff, and it's all about conquest and war and uh, power from the top down. Jesus comes in through the sand gate as a king whose mission is peace. And we know that because Jesus rides in on a donkey. There's a lot to be said about the humility, the humbleness of the type of animal he used, but the fact that Jesus was riding in on an animal at all is a symbol of status, because most people didn't have one. Now, granted, he had to borrow it, but he makes his choice to come in on an animal. If he had gone in on a horse or a stallion, it would have been a symbol of conquest. But traditionally, someone riding in on a donkey is coming in on a mission of peace. So everything in this story and everything in Luke's gospel is telling us that Jesus is a king who's is coming to conquer the hearts of people through a mission of peace and grace and mercy. Yeah. And so then the Pharisees see it and they're predictably ticked off because they just can't stand anything that Jesus does. They're always the ones arguing with him. And they say to him, you got to stop them from doing this. They're putting their faith in the wrong thing, Jesus. You, you should know better as a good Jewish man. And they just haven't gotten it yet. And so Jesus says to them, look, if my disciples don't praise my name, then the rocks will do it for them. And sure enough, Jesus is right. Because on Friday of that week, he'll go to his death. On another march With people scorning him Jeering at him Cursing him And he will be crucified And in that moment When there's nobody there Praising Jesus' name There's an earthquake And he gives up the spirit And so Jesus is right When there's no one left to praise him The earth cries out And groans And the stones cry out and proclamation of who Jesus is, and it's such a powerful moment that, that Luke tells us that there's a there's a, a Roman soldier there who's so moved by it that he says, "Surely this man was the Son of God." And his praise is proclaimed by the earth, and no one else will do it. We're headed into the most important week of the Christian year, and it starts with this event, the triumphal entry. Mm-hmm. I want to read something to you from the uh, Interpreter's Bible Commentary, and I forgot to bring it with me, but thankfully I had written it out. The Interpreter's Bible Commentary says this about Luke's account. It says, The triumphal entry was a pageant, but it was God's kind. It's a procession at once splendid and dreary. It was something to rejoice over and something to mourn like life itself. See from the first both the highlights and the shadows. Jesus flicked off like a speck of dust by the decent people who had lionized him for a while. John the Baptist who doubted him, Judas whom he could never quite win, the brothers who were quite sure that he was daft. Then remember that this is the man who seems to have thought of himself at last as if he had been sent by God to bring about some vast reversal in human life and so little had been done. It had begun now to look like the end, and yet against that background of lowly life, going out with such poor pomp, had been painted a glory in the skies, God's pageant of the years, until what else can a man make of him but the strange love of God walking abroad on the earth, forever hurt and despised, and yet forever at the last triumphant. I love that riff on the weird reversal of fortune and the, the strange inverted idea of power that it comes from peace and it comes from submission and it comes from uh, God giving himself and giving his life to give us life eternal. And it's just everything about it is an upside down story. Because it just, it shouldn't work that way. It shouldn't work that, that the way to To secure the salvation of a people, the king would have to lay down his life. But that's the way it happens. And that's what God is showing us throughout history. And if the triumphal entry is Jesus' funeral procession, then I would say that we who believe in Jesus now are part of the second line. And our job is to join in the proclamation of who Jesus is and who Jesus was and what Jesus means to us even now. We didn't know Jesus personally, Personally, we weren't there for the event that happened on those days, but we have the stories that have been passed down by the gospel writers and the history and the heritage of men and women of faith who have been moved by that story and who have told it to us. And so in a sense, we are the second line of Jesus' funeral. We're the people joining in afterwards to celebrate his life and share stories of what he's done for us and hear stories of what he's done for others and to be witnesses to that life, to the world around us. So we don't have much to do for Holy Week except to remember who Christ is and what Christ calls us to do. And so keeping that in mind, I've put some rocks in the middle up front here. So what I'd like you to do is during the last song, if you want, you can come up and take one of these rocks carry it with you. And let it be a reminder to you this week, as long as you want to keep it, that our job as Christians is to share the story of Christ and to share the glory of Christ and to share all that he has done so that the rocks don't have to do that job for us. God help us that these rocks never do. So that's all I have to say really to to let this week be a week that you reflect on who Christ is and let it be a reminder of what Christ has done and what Christ is continuing to do. And let that be a reason that we share that with the world around us this week and in the weeks to come, as long as we live. And if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to pray with you before we close out. And then I guess we have a song to sing as well. Is that right? All right, great. Almighty God, we thank you for this week for what it means to us that you came to be a part of our lives. You entered history and you became human to live beside us, to walk beside us, and to die for us. And as we head into Holy Week and as we look forward to Easter and the glory of the Resurrection, let us not forget that there are things that you did to secure our salvation that we need to affect Help us to be mindful of those things. Help us to keep those things at the front of our minds, at the top of our hearts, and at the tips of our tongues so that we may be ready to share the good news with those who we meet this week and the weeks to come. Help us, Lord, to be examples and to be mouthpieces for the kingdom so that these rocks that are filled will not have to do that job for us. We ask all these things in your name.